Welcome to On Deck with Circuit Check. For over 40 years, CircuitCheck has been a leading edge provider of custom engineered test solutions to the electronics industry, identifying and innovating new technologies and processes to address the ever-changing test requirements. Join us as we share our expertise and thought leadership across a wide range of industries. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of On Deck with CircuitCheck, a CircuitCheck podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you listening along to some circuit check thought leadership. As you're listening along to the podcast, make sure that you are subscribing to On Deck with Circuit Check on both Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. And you can also go to our website, circuitcheck.com. Again, circuitcheck.com for more information on some of the technologies you're going to hear about today and also for more Circuit Check content, including podcasts, videos, articles, and more. So on today's episode of the podcast, we are aiming to answer the broad but important question, what makes for a successful test system engineering project? It's a pretty broad question, and there's a lot of moving pieces there, but most, if not all, industrial manufacturing sectors are well aware of the challenges of mass-producing critical supplier parts and equipment. The slightest design error, production line hiccup, or testing oversight can lead to untold wasted hours of labor, wasted dollars, and, of course, unhappy end users. So to make sure parts and products are being produced accurately, efficiently, and to a customer's liking, a quality testing system engineering project needs to be implemented. So with our conversation, we're analyzing the core steps of a TSE project, why they're useful, we're going to be grounding them around specific industry applications, and we're going to be understanding the intricacies of customer and partner relationships that ensure TSE projects are launched correctly. So for insights today to break down the whole process start to finish, we're joined by Paul Atwell. He's customer application specialist with Circuit Check. Paul Atwell, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us, Paul. I'm really looking forward to getting your thoughts here. You have a lot of experience in the field, and I kind of want to start there. Can you just give us a quick elevator pitch summary of your work in this space and how you've come to uh, grow your knowledge and expertise around test system engineering projects? Yes, uh, I cut my teeth in electronic design back in the uh, early 90s. When, uh, when I was designing bench and system power supplies, and uh, and then I moved over to to automated test. So I've been I've been involved with that for approaching sort of twenty three years, twenty four years of of my career. Um, so I've seen quite a few test systems built. So I've been working with with various different platforms over the years and and designing uh, and specifying and um, working with customers to 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 generate uh, solutions across a wide range of industries. Perfect. Thank you for that context. And now with that as framing, let's jump into the main conversation. I want to really start the meat of the conversation by understanding how test systems are being put to work today in today's manufacturing uh, context. So which manufacturing industries rely on test systems as a key part of their process? And how does this often shape their production workflow? Give us that eagle view vision of the process. 
Well, of course, um, all manufacturing companies that will, will have some kind of test component, but we're specifically involved in the electronics sector. That's not exclusive, but it's nearly always electronics companies that we're dealing with, uh, technology companies. Specifically, um, a lot of our projects go into, into medical, automotive, uh, in, in the industrial sector, home entertainment, and uh, mill aero applications. So tests may occur at multiple points in the production process, uh, or, or it may just occur once. Um, so it, it's, it's, there's no one way of doing this. Um, and it, but effectively, what, what we're talking about is something that, uh, that, that will uh, integrate into the line and we will feed back or rework um, if it finds uh, faults in line. Uh, it will generate information that will allow the customer to uh, modify their process where there's anything going wrong. And uh, it's, it's, it's crucial that that is, is followed up. Um, it's, it's worth bearing in mind that for many companies, tests can be a bottleneck. Um, uh, if it's not adequately resourced or maintained, it can, can be a, a bit of a pain. In the There's also an element of resentment about test. It's often seen as a non-value-added part of the production process, um, despite the fact that if they don't have it, there are severe consequences. And I think that sort of universal application is what really makes this conversation important today because, yeah, testing may not be the most exciting part of the process, uh, you know, might reveal something that in the short term means, oh, gosh, we got to take this back to the design floor or we have to toss this whole batch because there was some XYZ part that was missing or implemented incorrectly. And that can create a lot of headaches, a lot of beads of sweat. <laughs> but in the long term, implementing these projects correctly, like you said, creates that system of efficiency and trust in the process that pays in dividends. And we're going to try to break down exactly why this matters across all industries. Uh, if you could get more specific for us, how does a lack of quality test systems impact these various manufacturing operations, as well as the other critical players in the related supply chain. Basically break down what it looks like when a manufacturing operation has a subpar test system. Yes. Um, the um, anatomy of a poor quality test system, well, it, it, it can often be that um, the test system was imagined the wrong way in the first place that it doesn't actually test all the things that it should test, um, we, would, we would describe that as poor test coverage. And, uh, uh, and that can stem from, um, from, from poor data, poor specification, which may have come out of the design department. So that may affect the whole process. Um, it may just affect maybe one or two parts of, of the test process. So for example, they touch the part with test at multiple points during its manufacture. If in that case, they'll find eventually the problem, maybe right at the end of the line, and then then the cost of, of rework can be very high um, because you've got to take it all apart again to fix it. And it may even mean you have to scrap it. So poor test information or um, Actually, the other consequence could be if you haven't actually got somewhere in your production line that 
isn't is picking every picking up all of the faults, then the ultimate tester of your equipment is your customer. That could be catastrophic to your reputation. Uh, it could even be extremely dangerous and may end up with you in litigation. You know, there are many unpleasant consequences if if you leave that to chance. Quality can also be about um, the poor way in which a perfectly good test specification is interpreted, and uh, it, it, you just end up with something that is cobbled together um, and it's constantly breaking down. It leads to an awful lot of false rejects, um, and that is very annoying for the production line and and that distrust of the tester can is often a part of the of, of bad reputation for tests generally and, and another aspect of lack of quality is just not actually resourcing it properly and actually having insufficient capacity meaning that that we end up with the bottlenecks that i described earlier and customers are left waiting because there isn't uh there, there isn't sufficient product so you, know, you have to make sure that you've done your calculations correctly for throughput and, um, and invested correctly in your test system. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of domino effects that come from uh, launching a test system incorrectly or just ideating it for a process that is incomplete and uh, launching it in a way that just doesn't fully capture the scope of what is being designed and manufactured at scale. So let's better understand what those metrics are that can help guide a successful implementation. As we, with this conversation, define a test system engineering project, what are the core factors, in your opinion, that make for a successful final implementation? We'll use this to then work backwards and understand what it takes to get to that final solution. Yeah, some of the key ingredients I, I, I would um, start with, with the relationship uh, that we have with, with, with the individuals we're working with in, in, at our customers and that we're, we're engaging correctly with those people. They're the people that can uh, give us um, sensible answers to the questions that we've got when we're trying to define and build this solution. And we we're getting that, that that those answers in a timely fashion. That that is often a result of of having good communication. You know, actually getting people round a table on a regular basis, um, having um, good administration of that, which is why we place a great deal of uh, importance on having uh, a dedicated project manager. Who, who's, who, who uh, sort of orchestrates that communication. But the key thing um, I would call the three I's, which is information, information, and information. We need structured specifications. Uh, we need to understand in a very clear form what the expectations are that the customer has. Um, and we need to have the appropriate levels of detailed data about about that product that we're testing um, uh, we we can sometimes just be um, uh, hit, hit by a massive snowdrift of data that that in fact contains an awful lot of apocryphal or or unhelpful information um, you know making sure that they actually give us the sort of 
the, the correct stuff about the current product is really crucial. So there we are. So it's relationship, communication, and information. So let's continue then. Once we set that uh, line of communication, uh, it's also important to set expectations correctly across all parties, just so that um, everyone approaches the communications with the right mindset. And that way, when there are actual delays or issues, they can be dealt with accurately instead of sort of assuming the life cycle of the project or the, um, you know, the quality or the breadth of the project, etc. So as needs are being set, can you break down which parties are most critical to have on that same page with the expectations for the life cycle and vision of the project? And how do setting expectations uh, impact the success or the potential failure of a project? Break that down for us. Yes, the key person that usually is is front and center is your technical lead. They're usually the people that have, have sponsored the project in the first place. They're in in charge of key aspect of test for for the customer. We're very reliant on them being bought into our methods. Um, we obviously try and do an awful do do a lot of work to reassure them that we've understood what their technical requirements are. They are crucial to the long-term confidence in us as, as a supplier. And so they're obviously uh, key in, in all of this. And they are often responsible for explaining us to, to the wider team and back at the customer um, and, and explaining what we're trying to do. And, so, so that's, that, that, that's absolutely crucial technical lead. But there are other people who will be playing key parts as well. Um, production engineers, um, they're, they're not usually so keyed into the technicalities of, of how we're doing the test, but they are very, very engaged in how the, how the tester functions on the production line. They're interested in maintaining throughput, reliability. They will often um, raise the practical issues first, especially if you're talking about the sort of post-engagement phase. But they can be quite involved before the thing has, has actually hit the production floor. They will drive change, um, especially when you're talking about, say, the handling of the product. Um, uh, whether it's automated or manual, they're, they, they're the people that, that are responsible for sort of the time and motion studies that, that will, you know, will make sure that the whole thing runs smoothly. Of similar importance to project managers. Now, um, not every customer involves a project manager directly with us, but they're, they're, they're increasingly common. They will be the people marshalling the, the customer side team. So, doing a similar job on their side that our own project managers are doing. So they'll be coordinating things, they'll be they'll be coordinating communication. They're strategic people. They'll be setting goals. It'll be very important for us to ensure that, that they're kept informed, know that we're hitting our milestones. Um, there's there's also the uh, the the potential end users. Um, there are crucial stages in a project's life cycle where you, a lot of your involvement are the people that are actually sitting with the testers day to day. They may be maintenance staff responsible for the line. Um, 
and um, they will be tapping you for information and they will be making suggestions to you. Uh, it'll be important that you're listening to them. There are sometimes language barriers because we are, uh, you know, we're a company that delivers internationally. Um, we have to sort of do our best to uh, accommodate that. Um, we have to also watch and whenever we can watch our system being used. Uh, I do find that, that that's something of a frustration when, when, when things are transported so far around the world that we don't actually get to see how the people are actually using the equipment because you can often see um, early warning signs of, of future problems. If you can actually see what kind of issues people hit as they actually use it day to day. At the end of this list, I'll bring up the buyer. They're, they're obviously very, very important when you are actually negotiating the purchase of equipment. You know, the, for, for, for a period will be sort of very sort of important cogs in the machine, but they tend to fade away once the once the equipment's approaching deployment, you know, it's more of an issue at the quotation stage uh, than anything else. They can put their oar in if, if things need additional money. You know, they, they're often the big stick that, that is used to hit us. And that can be a bit frustrating at times. This one is pretty self-explanatory, but I think it's important to spend some time chatting about it. There's also the key necessity of understanding a customer's budget. I think this goes into the expectations part, but making sure uh, both the customer and circuit check and any other partners involved in the process understand what are our financial limitations and how do we maximize those limitations really helps set expectations correctly and can uh, create a better a pathway for strategizing around the materials, the vision, and the execution of the project. So why, in your opinion, I guess, and also in practice, does budget matter from beginning to end of the project? And uh, are there ever unexpected costs that you have to make sure clients account for and that you make sure are communicated correctly? Yeah, well, well, stepping back to the to to the very beginning of, of our involvement with a customer, um, budget is usually the elephant in the room. It can actually be quite difficult to get customers to commit to uh, letting us know what numbers they've got in their heads. They may, in fact, not have got any, um, and that is uh, <laughs> that's when you're you're really worried about sticker shock, um, but. Um, it, so there's a sort of a, a gentle process of, of educating people on where where money is going in a project to, to try and ensure that that they're ready for the kinds of costs that, that are realistic for a properly engineered solution for them. There's usually with um, most customers, there's a stage where they want something called a ROM, a rough order of measure, um, trying to come up with these budgetary numbers is is quite dangerous for us. Because as you've seen or, or heard from from me, you know, the amount of information we actually have to process to know that we've got a full a fully costed solution is actually is quite enormous. So we were reliant on experience, you know, what a similar projects cost other customers uh, and actually no two deals are really the same 
Um, so that can be quite a dangerous thing to do in itself. But but we do have a, a general feel for where things are going to go. They certainly know where the maximum maximums and certainly where the minimums are likely to be for our business. Um, but that is, that is something that um, that we, we approach very carefully when when we're asked to do it. It's it's rare to get a really good view of budgets until you've really developed um, a, a good relationship with, with a customer. So as we go on, um, we all start to understand where pricing is likely to go, and there are issues about introducing customers to the effect of some of their aspirations. So if they are looking for a very automated solution, it goes without saying that that's going to be a much more expensive investment for them than anything that is heavily manual. And that sort of is pushing the cost and speed of test around on on this table of cost versus effectiveness um, and um, cost versus complexity. So I, I think it's a matter of explaining to customers um, that they, they they see exactly how um, th their budget dictates what kind of compromises we're going to have to work with, and it's it's good to to have sort of wide ranging conversations about their expectations in terms of where the complexities lie, um, and to um, uh, do a bit of brainstorming with them. Uh, as to as to ways in which we could avoid heading for some of the most expensive options, but still get them as close as possible to where they want to be. So it's it's a big issue of managing expectations. It is important that that customers recognise um, uh, where potential cost overruns are going to occur. Now, once you've got a project on the way, there will be uh, a succession of design meetings where we discuss with the customer all sorts of aspects of, of, of the design. And then the customer can start pushing us towards a more complex solution to the one that was originally quoted. Some need may come up that they hadn't anticipated and that again could impact um, the overall cost so it usually falls to the project manager to spot that this is actually going to happen and it's really important that they don't sidestep it they usually drag people like me back into the conversation and say look you know the customer's talking about adding this you know a robot or a or a, or a vision system or some some other um, uh, um, piece of it complexity. What we try and do is gently take them through where that where those costs are going to get, and then um, uh, hopefully that allows them to go and fight for budget. Customers really hate it when a project that, that they've kicked off starts to um, uh, look like it's going to cost a lot more than it was than it than it originally expected. It, it goes without saying, but. If if things are really well explained and documented, it's a lot easier ride to 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 get that uh, recognised and 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 budgets extended. 
All right. So now I want to get a little bit more specific on the technology side of this. Thank you so much, Paul, for your insight so far in breaking down uh, the key steps that make for the foundation of a quality test systems engineering project. Now I want to uh, better unpack strategy around identifying uh, an end user's technology needs, the actual process that they're testing for, and how to craft the project to meet those specific needs. So usually uh, design validation as well as manufacturing are the key areas where testing is essential and most common, but requirements differ for a project that is focused on design validation versus one that is part of the production line, part of the manufacturing process. How would you differentiate those two as well as their importance? Yes. Yeah. Validation is quite distinct as a process, as a test environment. Now, with, with various customers, as I said, we, we've got to the place where we do have quite a, an influence with, with their design departments. Um, and so you're talking to a different team of people. Um, validation is about taking prototypes and putting them through their paces, accelerated life testing. That means that we have to uh, 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 place them in environmental chambers. We have to exercise those parts with uh, some real life type loading so that um, the customer ultimately gets confidence they've got their design right. Now, to do something like this, you need to be quite flexible. The product that is being designed is being designed. Ah, so therefore it is a moving goalpost. Um, so you have to be uh, mindful that anything you design has to be very flexible. Um, that is true of the mechanics of the part, the electrical connections of the part. It is true of the software uh, that you're going to have to develop to actually uh, sequence the test because the customer is going to want to keep changing that. They may well want to take very close control of that. They may, in fact, write a lot of those tests themselves, and you simply have to create the environment in which they their, their test will work. There's a heavy requirement to collect data because that's, that's what they're really after. They want to know um, exactly how the, the part degrades as, it, as it's put through its paces. You're in quite sort of challenging environments for for making measurements. Quite often, you're 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 measuring things whilst the the product is heated up to to sort of eighty ninety degrees C or even higher, and your test equipment mustn't degrade whilst it's up there with the uh, with the part under test. So many many customers hold that part of their process, the design process, entirely in house. They don't even involve us. But but um, when we do get involved, um, they they may ask us to uh, design the whole test for them. But quite often, as I said, they they'll give us a part of it that that we're supposed to implement for them. So that's design validation. It's sort of a world unto itself, really. Yeah, and the, the stuff that we test at the end of it is is scrapped off because it's been kicked about. When it comes to production tests, obviously the thing you're trying to achieve is tested product and looking after the product is, is crucial. And um, in production, testing may take a number of different forms. 
there are tests which are sort of what I would call generic in nature. They um, they use um, an approach of, of of saying you know th this is how we do test. We just measure the component values and and check that they're right and uh, and that and then if we know that we've put all the right components in the board, for, if we're talking about a circuit board here, then that means we have built the correct thing. So that's that's called in circuit testing. I've greatly simplified that down, but that's in essence how that works. There's also testing that that simply involves looking at the the circuit board and and, and checking that all the right parts are fitted. Uh, optical inspection, and then some other kinds of testing. Actually, you want to look underneath the components, so you have to use X-rays. So you know, that's a uh, that's a whole scene. So there are different discussion. You know, our part of of CCI um, with with test engineering are more fo focused on functional test. That's where we actually power the part up. But that other part of the testing that I've just mentioned usually sits in front of that in the process. They have checked the components. They have often looked at the components. They may have looked under the components. They've done their best to make sure that by the time they're touching the thing with real power, expecting things to work, that things are as right as they can be. We have to create an environment. And another tech component that is shaping these tests is the fact that certain technologies are becoming more and more prevalent across different uh, manufacturing industries and in turn requiring more testing support. So these include things like RF tech, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi integration, 5G capacity, broader IoT interoperability, and that's just naming a few of the main uh connective technologies, not to mention um, you know, any of the AI or machine learning uh, softwares and tech that uh, power some of these things, as well as uh, the built-in capacity to manage data flow. I mean, there's just so many cutting-edge technologies shaping the testing process. So can you break down some of the ways you've seen these technologies shape not only the testing systems you're working on, but also your approach with the client uh, in crafting the whole testing solution. Have these technologies uh, had to reshape how you approach this process from beginning to end? Break that down for us. Some of the things that you've just mentioned are really talking about the levels of intelligence that are uh, built into the customer's systems. And th that can be a benefit uh, in terms of test. Um, because they can actually be intelligent enough to know when they're wrong. Um, they, they can, they can be employed to, to run self tests and, uh, uh, and report in great detail what's going on in their innards. And, uh, you know, when in just in terms of talking to a part that has sort of network capability, that's relatively straightforward. What does cause a lot of trouble is that it's now very easy to bolt onto your product some wireless technology which you which you mentioned at the top of your list there you know where we've got this rf capability added an otherwise sort of fairly straightforward piece of equipment that needed traditional kind of test now has this wireless component and wireless testing is in fact one of the more tricky ones 
um, for, for production processes to uh, include. RF test equipment, especially the, the kind of thing that can to dig really low inside the, uh, uh, the, 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 the product's performance and, and come back with all sorts of parametric measurements. That stuff is, is incredibly expensive. Instruments that can do that, um, you know, you're starting at $20,000, go well over $100,000 just, just for a box to make uh, protocol measurements and RF measurements. That's quite obstructive when when you're when you're probably expecting your tester in whole on the whole to have cost about that much. So it, that's problematic, and the, and the cost of the box is only part of the trouble. The cost of the instrument is is is, is just just one component because you actually have to have experts that know how to drive and set those things up, and and therefore your your, your software, your test development costs go up again by a significant margin so when it comes to our relationship with our customers um, we um, we do try and find routes around that and there are some ways in which you can just deploy um, standard commercial items let's say wireless routers or bluetooth dongles that, that can give people a confidence test that their product has been made right all right, Paul, we're coming up to the end of our conversation, so only a couple more questions here for you. When you're looking at the software versus hardware, um, I guess, line of communication, right, their interoperability, how do you decide what software is going to be needed to integrate with the hardware testing components, and how does this shape the quality of a TSE project break down that intersection of software and hardware for us yes the software part of uh, uh, of any solution you know is, is we have a dedicated team that work on that we're very proud of that theme they have capabilities in in many languages and development environments it, it's a unique set of skills characterize uh, someone that can can work in our field because you have a little bit of a hardware engineer as well as a software engineer in order to succeed and you know that capability they have to work in so many different places is to, is is something that, that that's been uh developed in them because of the fashions of our industry and, and all the things that are that have been possible over the years and, and some of our team have been working in 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 this field for 20 30 years so they have quite a lot of experience and they've seen um, computer technology change an awful lot especially software environments and software languages we've developed for ourselves in in-house uh, a number of really good proven tools that are very helpful as software that that, that, that complement um, uh, other software tools but it has to be said that it's, it's very often the customer that dictates which software uh, we use to develop a particular solution. We do try to influence a little, even if they've dictated certain things. We do that usually with the um, with with noble objective of trying to make sure that the thing uh, will succeed and will succeed succeed on budget. Where we do get to choose, uh, we look as far as we can for the best fit for the company culture that that we are, are working with um so there isn't just one solution we offer if it's just uh down to us 
Um, one thing that we would always do where it's down to us is we would always use something called a test executive. Um, we don't have that. It's a, it's a layer that sits above um, uh, the detailed code that does the testing. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a much safer way of developing test solutions. We always try to make sure that we, uh, um, that we always specify a test executive as part of our solution. A test executive is there to simplify the process of, of developing the code, of develop, developing good solutions and maintaining good solutions by, by, um, by separating things out into different layers. It also is a tool that captures the data, that manages the test limits, deals with parameter files. It, a lot of the things that, that are important for, for, for the test environment are handled there. We, we've developed uh, our own test executives and we also use test executives like National Instruments Test Stand. Uh, and that, that one can incorporate code from disparate environments in the same, in the same uh, test program. So you can have parts of it written in C, parts of it written in lab views, parts of it written in, in, in other languages like Python. So that's, that's one thing. Um, any two customers ideas about what they want are, are quite poles apart. It's, it's a bit like religion. You get, uh, some companies are, are uh, very committed to open source. Other companies want sort of the, your um, commercial languages like for Visual Basic, C++, C, C Sharp. Um, and then there's a cohort that believe in the test specific languages like LabVIEW, uh, CBI and test stamp that I've just mentioned. So uh, you get all of these things. The great thing is, is that we are completely comfortable in each of those, those different environments. And we've got tools and experience to match. And on that note, Paul, I think that does it for our conversation today. So thank you so much for giving us this really deep dive on test system engineering projects from beginning to end, how to build a foundation that is sustainable, how to open those lines of communication, some of the technical specifications that guide today's TSE projects, and how to build an action plan around it that really invests in long-term success. So thank you again to Paul Atwell, Customer Application Specialist with CircuitCheck. And Paul, if folks want to find out more about some of your work or some of CircuitCheck's work in the space of TSE projects, how can they do so? Yes, excellent question. We have uh, a good website where you can uh, browse some of the things that we've done. And if you need to get some of your questions answers, reach out to our business development engineers. Uh, all their information is there on our website, yeah, including my information, actually. Uh, so you can, you can find out more about uh, different applications, uh, different tools that we've developed. It's, uh, it, there, there's a wealth of information there. Perfect. Paul Atwell, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure, and we'll chat again soon. Thanks. Thanks, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of On Deck with Circuit Check, a Circuit Check podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or heading to our website, circuitcheck.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you next time.